Good afternoon, everyone. We're going to get started. I'm Judy Langhans from the Continuing Nursing Education Office. I'm delighted to see so many people here today. Thank you for joining us for this special session of Nursing Grand Rounds entitled New Models of Professional Nursing Practice. I'd also like to welcome anyone that's viewing this session online, especially Deb Hastings, if she's watching us from Alaska right now. <laughs> that's why she's not here. Um, the learning objectives for today's presentation are at the end of this presentation, the learner will be able to describe the professional practice model and primary care redesign, list at least one new innovation that supports these models. Just a few housekeeping details. Please be sure to sign in. The sign-in sheet's over here. You must attend 80% of the program to receive credit. This educational activity carries one contact hour. For those viewing online, I'll be monitoring my email during the presentation, so feel free to email me if you have any questions, and I'll relay them to the presenter. And also, to receive credit, please email me within one hour of the completion of the program, stating that you participated live online, and I will record your attendance. Please include your name, license, and postal zip code. My email address is judith.m, as in May, langhands at hitchcock.org. Everyone attending today will receive a link to an, uh, an evaluation after the program. The CNE office values your feedback and hopes you take a moment to complete the evaluation. And your contact hour will be posted to your online transcript within two weeks. There are instructions on how to access your online transcript by the sign-in sheet or you can contact me. And finally, none of our speakers nor any members of the planning committee have identified a financial interest or relationship with a commercial entity or any conflict of interest regarding this presentation and no one refused to disclose. Our, uh, we're delighted to have Gay Landstrom, Justin Montgomery, and Karen Clements presenting today on this important topic. And I'm now gonna turn the presentation over to Justin who will introduce the speakers. Thanks, Judy. Um, I'm just going to be real brief here. This this whole uh, this whole presentation came up about three months ago when I was uh, speaking with Gay about the fact that we had Imagine Care coming out and wanted to see how it would fit with the rest of uh, the work that was done, and so we agreed that it would make the most sense to start with the professional practice model. And so Gay, uh, as I'm sure you all know, is the Chief Nursing Officer for Dartmouth-Hitchcock, um, is going to talk about the professional practice model. Uh, and then Karen, who's the Administrative Director for Ambulatory Care, is going to talk about how it fits in the primary care redesign, and then I'll come in at the end and talk a little bit about Imagine Care. But I decided that on the way up here, I wanted to try to find something to also introduce Gay and Karen, and I had this great idea that I would Google search their name. And the first thing that popped up, I would say, what that was. And I, at first I thought, I'll go no matter what it says, and actually, it's no surprise, it had very positive things. The first thing that pops up for Gay is an article that she did for DH Today, and I thought it was really interesting that she said, I thought I'd be a bench scientist, but realized that wouldn't match my disposition. I couldn't wait years to see results. So I think that's probably pretty accurate. And then I learned um, from Karen that she actually uh, was in the Army Nurse Corps, spent four years on active duties and seven years in the reserves, um, serving her country during Desert Storms. So I thought those are kind of two interesting things. So with that, I'll step out of, off the stage here and. Welcome, Gay. Great. Thanks, Justin. Can you hear me in the back? Okay, great, great. I have to tell you, have you ever felt that anxiety when someone says they're going to look you up and see what it says? Oh, my God. That's what you say. Thank you, Justin. I've got my heart going. Can you 
you wanted to be a nurse. Who can remember the moment when they made the decision? Put your hand up. Okay, a lot of you have memories of that. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank goodness we still have those memories. Um, I, I figure, you know, as I get older, some of those are come back. <laughs> but do you realize that when you made that decision to be a nurse, you had actually made at least one other decision before that? And that was that you wanted to be in a profession. You wanted to do something that uh, made a difference in society, something bigger. And whether it was something that you consciously did or you remembered you know, that step, you actually had started to at least drift into making a decision that you wanted to be a professional before you made a decision that that profession that you'd choose was nursing. We're going to talk about that for the next few minutes. What does it really mean to have made a choice to be in a profession, to be a professional? Um, and it really is the grounding for the model that we together um, developed for Dartmouth-Hitchcock, the model that would help guide our chosen profession and the work that we needed to do to really fulfill that. <laughs> Well, that's not working. Okay, we'll use the regular clicker there. So a few things about a professional role. And we were really um, blessed back in the spring to spend some time with Maria O'Rourke. How many of you got to hear her speak or learn a bit from her or were um, any part of the time that Maria was with us for a week. Okay, so a number of you. Um, I think as, as an organization, we learn a lot from Maria, and I expect that we're going to continue um, to learn from her. A really dynamic nurse who has quite a history. Um, she's uh, toward the end of her career, but she has spent a lot of time trying to help nursing across the country really understand what our obligations are to society. So, what does it mean to be a profession? We have a contract with society as nurses. We are given a license by our state, whatever state that might be. Did I break it? Um, we're given a license. And with that license are great obligations and, um, and great rights. We are allowed to know details about the people that we serve that other people in society don't get to know. We have access to privileged information about our patients, our clients that we're caring for. We're allowed to be with them in very sensitive times and, um, and they give us the right to care for them or help them to manage whatever it is that, um, that they're going through. Tremendous rights that, you know, the normal Joe Blow on the street does not get to do those things. They do not have access to that information. They do not get to be with people when we, you know, have them take all their clothes off and put on a gown and, and, uh, and put tubes into them and, and things like that. That's really unique. We're used to it. We have 
Uh, for many of us, um, we've been nurses a long time, but we forget that there is this really important contract with, with society. We also have obligations. We are obliged to always act in an ethical way. We are obliged to always do what is best for the patient. We've got that kind of drilled into our heads, but it really is part of this contract um, with society. We are obliged to do those things. Um, we can act as good Samaritans, even outside of our, the place where we're employed, and we're trusted to do the right thing, to act ethically, to always act in the, the best interest of the person who is in need. It's this contract with society. And we can never forget that that's really the grounding for the work that we do. So as nurses, we have um, we've decided to be professionals, and we've chosen to be nurses. And we have this, this pact with society. We also have signed up, whether we realize it or not, or whether we remember having learned about it in school, that we have to self-regulate. We have to look at ourselves, look at um, colleagues that we work with, and make sure that we're really meeting those obligations. Are we providing the very highest quality of care? Are we, are we doing right by the patient? We have an obligation to look at ourselves and look at the colleagues um, that we work with. And that is typically done through processes like uh, peer development, peer review. That's, but that is part of our professional obligation, just like other professionals. Within our team, one of the things that we sometimes get really confused about is we work with other people. Nurses rarely work in isolation unless it's out in the community. And even then, we're part of other teams. But sometimes we get really confused about what are the roles of different people on the team. And as nurses, with this pact with society, we have certain obligations. We are expected um, to um, guide the work of the team. If it's a nursing team, we're the ones that are obliged to make decisions and to delegate work. Other members of the team may have technical roles. Still other members may have support um, support kinds of roles. All of those roles are important, and we need to have clarity about those roles. But as nurses, we have an obligation to make decisions, to delegate, to make sure we're doing that um, in the right way. So we have a very specific role within our teams. In our nursing education, one of the things we have to um, recognize, and we had quite a bit of discussion with Maria O'Rourke about this, is that um, even what we're talking about today um, as professionals, not every school of nursing covers this um, in the same way. We have quite a bit of variation in our curriculum across the country. And so as we come together as a group of nurses to practice in this place to care for this population of patients entrusted to us, we do come in with some very different backgrounds. And so we can have different models in our head about what it means to be a professional. What is our relationship with society? So we have to recognize that colleagues that we work with today may have different, um, different thoughts in their mind, variation on what ours might be. And so as an organization, we know that we've, we've really got to do some more work to have those conversations 
and make sure that we're all understanding what it means to be a professional in the same way. Another important thing to remember about um, being a professional, um, a professional nurse is that we have um, at least two kinds of practice. Some um, people would argue there are three different kinds of practice. It's true that some of the, the work that we engage in, some of our work is dependent on another professional. So some of the work that we do is really stimulated by orders written by another provider. And we will fulfill that treatment, um, that assessment, that medication, um, but we also have independent practice. That part of our practice that we are really obliged to bring to the patient um, and whatever is needed. So you may be following, um, a, as a dependent part of your practice, there's an order for a medication and you'll give um, that medication to a patient, making sure that it is appropriate and the right dose and, and the, that it's safe. But we also will engage all the other parts of our practice that need to surround just that one act, um, assessing um, the outcomes of that, assessing whether the patient is going to be able to take that medication independently at home, what are the other kinds of things that might complicate their ability um, to, to be able to continue to take that medication. Lots and lots of our practice um, is done really independently. And then there are other, other parts that are much more convoluted than that and really interdependent. But we have to realize that as nurses, we have an independent practice as well as a dependent practice. And I think too many times, um, even we as nurses think that our practice, we forget about the independent practice. We forget um, about what we're obligated um, to do with our patients using all of our knowledge for the benefit of the patient. And then the, the last point, I just want to stress that as nurses, when we do all this work um, about being a professional and understanding what this means to us, that we do not care for patients alone. We need to really understand our practice. We need to be really strong in our practice so that we bring our very best to patient care, our very best to the teams that ultimately need to care for our patients. We need to understand our practice and we need to bring that to the teams that will plan and care for our patients across the continuum. If we don't really know who we are, if we don't really understand what we need to, to do, what we're obligated to do as professionals, we cannot be strong members of the team. The team will be weakened and patient care will not be all that it needs to be. So standing shoulder to shoulder with our colleagues is a really, really important part of being um, a professional. So, I want to talk about the four domains of being a professional. And we're going to touch on each of those four domains just a bit. Those four domains were ultimately chosen um, by the group that learned from Maria O'Rourke and really got grounded in what it means to be a professional. Um, but many of those individuals were part of a retreat. Um, nurses from ambulatory practice, nurses from acute care practice, nurses from um, perioperative and perioprocedural practice, um, nurses who are from not just Dartmouth-Hitchcock 
um, Medical Center, um, but also from Cheshire Medical Center and New London Hospital and from Mount Scutney. Together, we really grappled with what's the right model to guide us as nurses um, within this growing system. And it was really these four domains, these four tenants that came out um, loud and clear in our model. So I just want to touch on each one of those. And the four are that as professionals, and this really, the interesting thing is, this is not just about nursing. Remember I said, whether you thought about it or not, before you decided to be a nurse, you opted into being a professional. You wanted to go into a profession. And these four domains um, really apply to any profession. We're, we've just done this work to really understand how it then pertains to nursing. But those four domains are, we practice um, our, 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 uh, our role as nurses. We are all practitioners. And we'll talk about what that means. That's not just a clinical practitioner. That could be a management practitioner. Could be a research practitioner. There are many different ways um, to practice. But we are all practitioners of nursing. And we need to bring all of our knowledge to that. We are leaders and decision makers. We lead through making decisions. We add value through making decisions. We are all scientists, and we'll talk about what that means. And we are all transferers of knowledge. We have knowledge within nursing, and we transfer that knowledge to many different people. Um, the words at the bottom of this slide just reiterate that important tenet that society has granted us a privilege as nurses. And we need to bring all four parts of being a professional um, to society as we work with them, whether that's an individual patient, whether that's a patient and their whole extended family, whether that's a whole population that you might be managing as a nurse. So let's talk first about being a practitioner. So let me speak about myself. You know, as I reflected on um, these four domains, I thought, what, is, what does that mean to you, Gay? What what do these words mean to you? Now, I, I am a practitioner currently working in management administrative kind of work, among some other things. But that is where I've chosen um, to, to practice in my functional role right now. In the past, I have been a clinical practitioner, um, both in acute care and in ambulatory care. I've had other kinds of practice right now at this moment I am practicing in an administrative management um, kind of role. But I need to bring everything that I know about nursing, everything that I know about leadership, to that practice every day. I am guided by scope and, and standards. I need to be very clear on what does it mean to be a nurse? What does this state say um, it means to be a nurse? What are my ethics? Um, what are my ethical guides to practice? Um, they don't just pertain to clinical practice or to research practice and protecting human subjects. It pertains to every single decision that I make um, as a leader as well. 
And I have a whole book of scope and standards for nursing administrators that I am obliged to really, not just read it once, but really know what it means because I need to practice within those nationally recognized scope and standards. And everybody here in this room, regardless of what your functional role might be in your specialty, you have scope and standards as well. And so um, that applies to us um, in the same way. So I'm a practitioner. I'm a leader decision maker. I really add value largely through decisions that I make, decisions that in my current functional role, I need to make decisions that better the work environment for nurses and clinicians so they can provide the very best care. Um, that's a lot of the work that I do. I need to call out what are the outcomes that we need to achieve and how do we get there? What are the processes that we need to use to get there? I have a great deal of my value as a decision maker and leading my own practice through those decisions. But that applies to everybody else in the room. Whether you are um, in the OR and making decisions about how to make sure a patient is safe, whether you are in a clinic, whether you are doing research um, and intaking uh, in, in a, a patient into a study, um, you are making decisions all the time. And through those decisions, leading your own practice. Third tenet is that we are scientists. So our practice as nurses, regardless of our specialty and functional role, we, are, we, are, um, we stand on a lot of evidence that tell us what is a better way or a best way to care for a patient. If we want to, for instance, um, I saw Amy Curley come in. Where's Amy? Okay. Um, Amy, we have evidence about the very best way to recognize sepsis and treat it rapidly and lower mortality. Do we not? Yes. Okay. So our practice, when it pertains to a patient who looks like they might have symptoms of sepsis, we're grounded on evidence. We wouldn't go off and do some other crazy thing or decide we want to watch them for 24 hours. No. We know the evidence. We're really obliged to practice based on um, the best science. And where we don't have answers, where we don't have good science yet, that's where nurses also get involved with discovery, discovering new evidence that will help improve our practice. As a scientist, yes, I'm engaged in doing research, um, largely about leadership and how do we, how do we create um, the right environment for people to do their best work. Um, but I also am grounded on the best science, even in leadership. When I think about something that we need to do that's a change, I think about change theories. I think about what's the best evidence of the, the best way to guide people through change so that we're really successful, um, so that we ultimately can not just change for a day or two and then go back to the way it used to be, but how do we really change and then stick with that practice? Um, so we are all scientists. Think about what that means for you, whether it's being grounded in evidence or needing to find new, new evidence. And we are transfers. That's the fourth piece of, of this. Every professional, um, that profession is grounded on a body of knowledge. 
And with that body of knowledge, we need to transfer, transfer that knowledge to other people. It might be another new person in our profession. And so that calls us to be preceptors, to be mentors, to be just if we're side by side with somebody else and we can help them with a piece of knowledge, we really are obliged as a professional would we say, I think I'll keep that to myself and let you, you know, fumble around for a while. No. As professionals, we're really called to transfer that knowledge. We transfer knowledge all the time to patients. Um, a, a major part of nursing is that we teach and teach and help patients and their families to be able to care for themselves, to care for others. We are transferers of knowledge all the time in many different directions. Um, but as professionals, we would never keep that to ourselves when it would help someone else. So what are those four? Got one of them up there. What was the first one? Practitioner. Practitioner? Okay, good. Leader decision maker. Scientist. Transfer up. Oh, you guys get an A. And so our challenge is... Um, if we have selected these four domains, it's just so fundamentally important for us to remember in our work every day. Our goal is really how do we embed that um, into our work? How do we use this kind of language? How can it prompt us to think, yeah, I can't forget I'm a scientist. What really is the best evidence? What's the best way for me to approach this challenge in front of me? Or, um, or, or questions I might have about you know, do I make that decision or do I maybe wait for somebody else to do that? These tenets can guide us every day with whatever challenges in front of us. And our, our goal as a nursing body is to figure out how do we make this live all the time in the work that we do, in um, whether it's planning and developing guidelines and bringing the best evidence into practice, um, or whether it's caring for that patient right in front of us. Um, or caring for a family who might be struggling with that patient's new diagnosis. Whatever the challenge is, how do we bring this um, to our practice? How can it help inform us every day that these four domains are an integral part of who we are as professionals? Here within Dartmouth-Hitchcock, remember I said there was this group of people from all across the continuum and from all of our our organizations, um, while it was not as pretty on the wall, and I do have it on my um, phone, the, the chicken scratch that we had written to try, and, to try and represent this, that group felt that while there are lots of pretty models all across the country, that these four professional tenants were so important to us, important to um, clinical nurses who you know, just graduated three months ago, important to advanced practice nurses who um, are, are providers for a population of patients, important to nurses engaged in research, important to educators, important to um, those who are caring for patients and procedures. It didn't matter where we looked, little hospitals, bigger hospitals, that these four really pertain to us as professionals. And they, this, this model, as simple as it is, had the power to help 
help guide us, help remind us, um, even as our models of care um, will evolve um, in the coming years, healthcare is changing a lot. We've talked about that in a lot of venues, but healthcare is changing a lot. And how can we, as models evolve, as new models are developed, and you're going to hear about um, an evolving model, and you're going to hear about a new model here in the next few minutes, how do we take this professional practice model, these four domains, and allow them to really keep us grounded in what's important as professionals as we find new ways to provide care to patients, as we um, have new ways of, of helping um, patients to either get well or, or um, be as healthy as they can be, and they're not necessarily going to be cared for in the same places or in the same ways that they have been in the past. These coming years, I'm convinced, are going to bring lots and lots of change and evolution for us. So that's what this model was intended to do, to really help guide us. Nursing everywhere. Um, we do have lots more information available um, on the intranet site. Um, with, if you're interested in sharing this with colleagues, if you'd like to um, make sure you do some more reading about, I, I just glossed over these four domains, if you'd like to read some more, um, there are articles, there are all kinds of things that are, are just really, really well done that are out on the internet site. So, we wanted to ground um, the next half of this presentation in this professional practice model. So, we have these four domains. We first, what did we decide we wanted to be before we uh, decided we were going to be a nurse? Profession. Okay, we decided we were going to go into a profession. Then we chose nursing. And then each one of us has chosen a functional role. Um, for many of you, you might have a path like mine where, you know, I've been in clinical functional roles and I've been, you know, briefly a very sad educator and, um, and I, and I'm doing um, administrative practice now, and I'm also doing research, and we may be in different functional roles, certainly at any um, given point in time, but these, these professional um, tenets apply no matter where we go in our career. And these, as I said, these tenets really help ground us as we need to develop new models of care, as we look at models of care that we perhaps have had for years, but now, there are different demands. We have to care for patients in different ways. You know, when you think about it, um, even if you've just been a nurse for a handful of years, haven't you seen care change? Our patients, um, patients who used to be um, on med surge floors, even 10 years ago, are they usually on med surge floors today? Do we admit them? <coughs> They're getting outpatient procedures. Yes, they're not even coming to acute care. What about patients, um, let's say, anyone who's been around for 20 years, patients who used to be in ICU, where do you think they're cared for now? Are they in ICU? No, they're not. They're on the floors. If not even, you know, in ambulatory um, settings. It's amazing. And patients who today were caring for in ICUs, where, what do you think? They would not have survived. So everything has shifted a lot. 
It, it's really evolving. And you're next going to hear about some really, really exciting evolution of models of care in primary care. Um, and I think it's, it, it's exciting, and there's lots and lots of opportunity if we as nurses stay grounded in what we bring to the patient and to the teams that we're working with, and don't forget what we signed up for as professionals. And then you're going to hear from Justin about some even more exciting brand new models that we wanted to make sure you all know. So let me turn it over to Karen. Well, good afternoon. Uh, welcome to Monday, welcome to November, and welcome to it's getting dark too early, right? <laughs> so I appreciate Gay's presentation on the professional practice model, and I get to talk about some cool stuff happening in um, primary care. So this is the time where ambulatory nursing needs to redefine itself. You know, it's a growing need in our healthcare system. Ambulatory care is where it's at. And we need to redefine that. And as professional nurses, it's time to elevate our practice and our professional practice model to meet those needs. So we're going to talk about primary care. And that's just one of the fabulous uh, things that are going on right now at Dartmouth. And we'll be doing a lot of work over the next six months to three years to get this kind of redefined. So we had a redesign session in the summertime, I'm gonna say it was June, it could have been July, but it was all the leaders in primary care got together at Colby Sawyer for a full day, and it was 11 hours of, of grease boards and thinking sessions and, and these fabulous people who know how to draw. Um, and, and they actually draw what we were thinking and what we were speaking and what we were presenting. And so we were really trying to redefine primary care. What does that look like? Because it's gone are the days of the shingle out front and everybody seeing, you know, Dr. Jones for their sore throat to their heart disease. Gone are those days. And so how is it going to look now? What does it need to look now as our resources are dwindling and nurses need to work to the top of their licenses and we need to fully utilize our APRNs and, and the fabulous network that we have. So this was just one of the drawings I was pretty fascinated with because it really kind of outlines where we need to get to. So at the end of a very long day, we came up with a new primary care model. Um, so you can just ignore the confidential not for distribution on the bottom uh, because it's now kind of a, a public roadmap of how we as leaders bring primary care to the new millennium. So part of that will be having each individual working to the top of their license and making sure we circle that patient from the time they're born until the time they die. And it's not just coming to the clinic or not coming to the hospital. It's getting our care into the community and into the school districts and everywhere. So as we redefine primary care, we really need to stop being a siloed environment of healthcare and work with our community partners. And so as we look at this roadmap, we wanted to make sure we circled that patient with all the accesses to care that we have. And one of these fabulous things that you're gonna hear from Dustin about is technology and how do we leverage technology nowadays on seeking healthcare? You know, how many of you guys email your provider now? Love it, right? And how come we can't make our own appointment yet? 
online. I mean, I can make my own hair appointment online, and I can't make an appointment to get my annual physical online. So we need to, you know, kind of speed up some of our, you know, antiquated processes that we have. Um, and one of these other things as well is how do we maximize the data that we collect? We collect a ton of data. We don't do a lot sometimes with that data in our ambulatory world. So this is the time where we're going to join forces with our, um, our mission control centers and our transfer centers and our imagine care and those data collectors so we can, we can identify those patients that need us the most and also identify those patients for prevention. So it's really the full gamut. And so this is where we're going to head to and getting all the primary cares across the campuses functioning in a very similar way. So there are primary care practices on every campus. When I say that, Manchester, Nashua, Concord, Keene, and two here, Heater Road in Lebanon, we have some in line, and I'm sure many other places I haven't even remembered or got there yet. We have peds and adult care as well. So how do we get a portal of entry for a patient to look and feel the same as they enter our system and use those evidence-based research practices to provide the care to patients. Patients want to get what they pay for nowadays too. They don't want to spend $300 to go get their cold checked. They don't. They want to have access to a provider that will give them high quality care at a price that they can afford when they want it. That's why the CVS Minute clinics and all those clinics popping up in the airport across the countries are successful because I have a sore throat today, not next week. I want to get my son's sports physical because he just brought me home the paper today. It's due tomorrow. I want to get that done today. So how many, uh, right, right, okay. Oh yeah, mom, this is a piece of paper. Yeah, we all have been there. So how do we bring the services to the patient and not the, the patients to us? So there's just so many different portals uh, for all of our caregivers to give. And one of the largest areas we're going to work with as well is behavioral health. We have to incorporate behavioral health in our primary care or we will not be successful in the total care of the patient. So that's a very large project. But we have nurses. We're working with uh, all these different, you know, healthcare companies and insurance companies on, on coverage and, and co-pays and all, all that comes with that part. And as nurses, sometimes we don't, tend to think about that sometimes, but in, in, in our world, we have to think about who's going to pay for it. What's the, you know, what is the not cheapest care for the patient, but what's the most appropriate care for the patient? Dr. Laura Council, is Laura here? Um, Dr. Laura Council is the interim medical director for primary care. She, I've stolen these slides from her. I'm going to give her all the credit. So she, uh, she's kind of my counterpart with, with Chris Schoen and other folks in the primary care world trying to lead this kind of innovation. And she's just fabulous. And she's done all of this reading and, and shares it with us. Another large piece of this redesign is care coordination. So as we think of care coordination and care management or transitions of care, there's so many different names of it, they're going to be key to the success of this evolution. So we have to stop thinking of care coordination and care management as an inpatient focus, but think of it as the full continuum. As that patient tra traverses through that circle, that the, the slide a few slides ago, they need handoff. They need transition of care. We lose patients in the cracks all the time, and that's where we, we fall down and we have increased you know, injury to the patient or prolonged stays. So care coordination is going to be a very large piece of this redesign. So the ideal model is one of the 
the um, standards of, of the primary care redesign. And that's really developing a team in your primary care group. So each team is made up of these, this group. You're going to have two physicians, two extended or physician assistants and APRNs, okay, so those are advanced practice nurses. A chronic care partner, so we're working very, very hard right now. The, the practice area council for primary care, we've stood that up about six months ago to work on what's called knowledge maps, and that is a key tool that our collaborative care clinic, which will be nurse-run clinics, will be using to take care of chronic diseases. So the, the primary care practice council that's been up, Amy Iwitson has been an amazing co-chair of that, who's working very hard at getting um, the knowledge maps kind of worked through so we can then operationalize that. So nurses can actually assess, make decisions, transfer the knowledge to the patient, and care for patients who don't need to see a physician. They may just need to come and see the collaborative care nurse based on their individual. Um, a behavioral health clinician, again, this is going to be key to the redesign of primary care. We need to keep a thumb on the patient's happiness and their willingness to comply with care. There's cool apps, and I'm not going to steal Justin's thunder, but there's really cool apps now that, that you know, throughout the day can identify how we're doing, how we're we monitoring our, our medication, um, taking our compliance. But getting behavioral health within our primary care is key. And then for patient flow assistance, MAs and LPNs that are actually the, the movers and, and groovers of the, of the primary care who are assisting the providers <coughs> in moving those patients and doing that, some of that paperwork that we still have to do. So the chronic care model, as I was talking about, will be a, a clinic that is maintained and managed by nursing, nurse-run clinics that works collaboratively with the physician and the APRN and the folks like Imagine Care to provide the best care for the right patient at the right place at the right time. Primary care is key to this. As we look at prevention, we have to also look at not just the chronic care, but at prevention as well. We just talked this morning for a couple hours about population health. So until we get some of our prevention up to par, whether it's obesity, diabetes, smoking, all that, then we're going to always have chronic care, and it's going to suck our system dry unless we get some of this prevention going. Knowledge map protocols, again, uh, these are protocols built with a fairly sophisticated system through TDI that allows the nurse to make decisions based on assessment that our, our physician signed off on, and they're fairly in-depth and, and documented, so they're, it's a pretty cool process. Again, the chronic care model, RN model, we call it the C4 model, chronic, collaboratively, what is that, Amy, chronic, collaborative, chronic care clinic, yeah, that, <laughs> C4, a lot of C's in there. And again, what's our goal for the patient? It's improved outcomes, right? We want to have the right patient see the right provider for the right thing the first time. So that's my little short spiel on that, what we're doing in primary care. We'll be rolling a lot of these projects out individually. Um, we may take the collaborative care clinic model and work with Nashua. Nashua's been a, a pretty strong partner with us and iron out all the kinks for that, and then we'll take that best practice and spread it throughout the primary care processes, as same as we do other, uh, if we stand up the behavioral health model, we'll, we'll practice with one um, group, and as we, you know, we all need to fix those little kinks in the road. But again, in, in two to three years, I think that um, you'll see a standard consistent process, and it'll impact our outcomes across the way. So, Justin. Okay. Uh, 
this head up a little bit. Can you guys hear me okay? All right, so I'm going to talk briefly about Imagine Care, um, starting off with uh, the lead into how we got to Imagine Care. Um, and I appreciate both Gay and Karen coming and talking about this um, to help uh, kind of set up what I wanted to get to and try to uh, socialize this message a little bit more. Um, how many people got their Imagine mugs? And they changed as, you know, you kind of went through and did this. And now all of a sudden there's been this question about, well, what does Imagine mean? I mean, is it just something that's on the side of a bus? You know, I've heard some of those things. Or is it just something that's in a mug? What does it actually mean? And so this is one of those things that has come out of the uh, Imagine idea. And um, I'm going to talk about Imagine Care using just a brief overview, but then I'm happy to talk further if you have questions afterwards. So in trying to think about Imagine Care, um, I would like to start off with a couple different concepts with Imagine Care. Imagine Care is the combination of both technology um, as well as uh, a series of kind of nurse-run um, ideas or nurse-run clinic that we have that sits to the technology. So I'll talk, off, I'll talk at first about the technology piece of this and then come back to talk about the nursing care uh, that is embedded within that. As you can see when you start hearing about this project, this is a project with a great team, a diverse team that has been working on this for well over a year and a half now. Um, we have our newest members of our team who are here today, our, our first group of nurses who have come in and started working with us. But this is a, a true group effort, uh, supported from leadership and uh, helping to make it happen. So the data flow, what we've done is we've started to think about Imagine Care. Uh, do people here have a Fitbit? Anyone have a Fitbit? Who's got that? Okay, who has a smartphone? All right, who started to take their Fitbit and their smartphones and track their activity or track their nutrition? or track any number of things. You can do sleep, you can do physical activity, you can do nutrition. I mean, all of these things are available at our fingertips. Now, what if you were to start taking that information, though, and then you put it into your existing medical record? But then it wasn't just dumped into your medical record as a random data dump, but actually had some logic that was placed to it. And then that information could help inform your care teams about what it is that you might actually need for care. And then, so we take this idea that you have sensors that are out there that people are already using, and if you could take that information and you could dump it into this systems intelligence, and then you can combine that with other existing data streams. So I talk about this a lot, like what if we could start to pull CDC flu data, where we know where the flu is active the most in the state, and you could also dump that into the same system, or other types of data. And then you also pulled electronic health record data in about people who were on this service, and so you started to know who in this room ha would have COPD that might be most affected by the fact that there's a spike in the flu um, rates in a part of the state, and then you had sensors that could help inform a care delivery team about how that person was doing, now you've got something. But what we've been working on is also trying to put all of that to a series of evidence-based care pathways. So we also have been partnering with Dartmouth-Hitchcock Knowledge Map, and we've put together a whole series of care pathways so that as that information comes in, there's something for it to come in and compare itself to. So you have a pathway that says if data comes in and you see this kind of response that comes in, so I'll use the idea of COPD, if somebody has a um, albuterol inhaler that they use as a rescue inhaler, and they usually use it one time a day, but now all of a sudden they're using it six times a day, most of the clinicians in this room go, something's wrong. We should be reaching out, we should be acting on that data. So you create all those care pathways that sits in this cloud, you have this data comes, that comes in, and out of that comes actionable data. 
And that's where you see that you start to see the data comes out on the other side. So on the other side of the system, you have information that may go directly to the customer. It might be something just as simple if you're talking about heart failure and it's somebody whose weight is up seven pounds, you might want to double check that it wasn't their brother who came over and stepped on their scale, that it was actually them who was using that scale. So you have these kind of ways to do double check on the data and it goes out directly to the customer or it might come right into our Imagine Care Digital Health Service Center where we have nurses and health navigators who are there to help people kind of answer questions or triage problems. Um, and oftentimes that information can be resolved right at the point of, right at that point, that interaction stops at Imagine Care. But then there's other times that that data needs to be triaged and it needs to go back into either a chronic disease health clinic or it might need to go on to a primary care provider or maybe it's somebody who really is sick and we need to send them immediately to the emergency room. We're, at, we're developing protocols to make sure that we're able to act on all of the information that comes in and respond in uh, an evidence-based care pathway model based off of the data that's coming in. So we've really been thinking about redesigning how the data flows and then how we respond and react to that. And as we get better with this, we'll start to have the ability to do some predictive analytics and really start to say, we're gonna see problems long before problems ever, ever come up and it will help our uh, population health strategy. So this is the care flow, which is a little bit more. All of the data that I was talking about coming in, and, and I, you know, I've heard some questions that have, that have come out about, well, how, how are you gonna be able to respond to that data? Anyone who works and has an inbox knows that the last thing you want is a series of 200 blood pressures coming into your inbox every day that you don't really know what you're going to do with. Imagine Care is not going to dump 200 blood pressures into your inbox. We're going to triage every one of the signals that's coming in and we're going to start to, um, to sift through the data so that you get actionable data that only arrives back at clinical teams. That data that's coming back in is going to be assigned an alert level. If it's a critical alert, so I'll use blood pressure in this case, if somebody's blood pressure is 220 over 110, that's a critical alert that we need to respond to right away. We'll reach out immediately to respond to that. Low medium alerts or, or any incoming communications will respond and start to, to flush out what's going on with the data. That information will either go to our health navigator or an Imagine Care nurse. And then if that information is triaged, then it needs to go back into existing health clinics, whether that's a primary care clinic or wherever people may end up, we're gonna do a warm handoff. So if you're a nurse who's working in ambulatory care, what does this mean for you? Well, what it means is that if Imagine Care calls and we make contact, we're gonna be able to give very specific information to you about this is what the person's trends have been, this is what their current symptoms are based on a protocol, these are what the recommendations are that we're gonna have, and then that information is transferred right into the electronic health record because we're gonna integrate into EDH. So all of this information is gonna be available. What we're gonna try to do is before somebody gets into a really severe COPD exacerbation, we're gonna to try to identify the early steps where we might be able to keep them from being admitted to the hospital or having to go to the emergency room. We can start to have more proactive care. For people, if you're gonna be an employee of Dartmouth-Hitchcock and you wanna start watching your own trends and deciding whether or not you're on the right path for activity, we're gonna give you a tool you can use that can help with physical activity and nutrition monitoring and all these other things that you may wanna do to take care of your own health. All of it will exist in a HIPAA compliant secure cloud. This information is not gonna end up going back to employers. This information is going into the same spots and protected with the same HIPAA information that would have been there before. So this is the key distinctive features of Imagine Care and what, what it is that we're looking to do. A wide range of sensors that we're gonna connect into. We've created a mobile app that has actually been user tested so that when you go in to use this mobile app, it will work. 
and it'll work in a way that really makes sense for you. We've been using this with people around, uh, testing this app across a broad range of age demographics. So somebody who's 80 years old is actually gonna be able to see what's on the app. My background is in geriatrics. I know if you have really small font and you give that to somebody who's a geriatric, you're really kind of wasting your time. So they need to be able to see it. Um, all the way up to somebody, all the way to someone who's 18 and wants something that's quick to use and don't waste my time because I'm off to my next thing and my attention span is two seconds. So this, this app has been created with lots of user testing. Um, the clinic, again, is staffed 24-7 by, by nurses. It's a nurse-led clinic. We've had a lot of input from our nursing department um, to help us come up with a lot of these different roles. Nurses that are trained in, in health coaching and then health navigators are trained in health coaching. Um, multiple ways to have access to this. We can do secure texting, we can do video chats. There's many ways for you to get um, uh, access to the clinic and the features that are in the clinic. Um, all of those evidence-based pathways that come from uh, Dartmouth-Hitchcock Knowledge Map, this information is being driven based on the evidence and will respond and change pathways based on the data that's coming back to us. We will have behavioral health that's uh, baked right into this. There's lots of different ways to get at this. You can ask people, are they stressed? Or you can do these kind of cool things where you can send someone a picture, a set of 20 pictures and say, choose the picture that looks the most like you. And if you hit a crying baby, that means you're really stressed. And so you can start to do these kind of cool ways to get people to measure their own stress levels and give them feedback on that. Um, and all of this is backed by Dartmouth Hitchcock. I know one of the first things that we're going to get asked is, where is this going in the EHR? In our early version, we're going to have this going to scan docs, which I know is going to mean that it's going into the pit that no one will ever see, and then it's you know never to be seen again. But it will be attached also to visits if somebody's coming in. So if you have an appointment made, there'll be a scan doc. It'll be attached to the visit. Um, in early January, uh, we'll start to have this integrated into ambulatory care notes, uh, notes and it'll be listed as Imagine Care. So you'll actually be able to open up the encounter. We'll have trending data that's available. So if you're looking to try to see what someone's weight has been over time, or what their blood pressure has been over time, or what how many times they've been using their, their inhaler, all of that information will be available. Um, we would like to also try to develop, and we're working with the, the EDH folks to get an alert at the top that says this is an Imagine Care person. So it would go right next to the FYI tab. Some of that we're still working with them, but this information is going to be built in by January. So that's a very quick overview. I did want to um, uh, take a couple minutes at the end, though, to give a chance for people to ask questions, not just of me, but of our entire group here. And we have five minutes to do that. So. Okay. So I'm just wondering um, what impact Imagine Care may have on the pediatric world. You had mentioned 18 to 80. Yeah. There's that whole group of pediatrics and how this might play into their care. So our. Repeat the question. Yeah. Okay, so the question was, how is, an Imagine, how is Imagine Care going to impact pediatrics in the, in the pediatric population? Because I mentioned 18 to 80. Um, Imagine Care is based off of five core pathways that we've started off with, and our pathways drive all of our care. Those pathways are going to be behavioral health, sleep, nutrition, physical activity, and engagement. And then out of that, we have four chronic disease pathways, that's COPD, CHF, hypertension, and diabetes. And that's out of the... the gate to get us off the ground. Beyond that, P 
pediatrics, cancer care, um, a whole range of other possibilities are introduced into this. In pediatrics, so you start thinking about asthmatics, and what if you could take a sensor, and there's already sensors that are available that you could do a peak flow at home hooked to somebody's iPhone. And so we have a lot of interest in going and working with pediatrics to say, what about for asthmatics? We started doing this. Those will all continue to build. Um, we're hoping that out of Imagine Care, we've created a dynamic tool that as people bring needs to it, we can create these pathways and develop the capacity to take on entirely new populations. So if you would be happy to work with us, I'd be happy to talk with you about doing exactly that. Thank you. Sure. Um, I think this is fabulous. Um, as far as rolling it out into the community, what's the plan to get people in the community on board for this, and what is the cost? Have you looked into that? Will there be a cost or insurances involved or partnering with this? So, out of, so a great question, cost. The question, yeah, the great question, I say great question, I should repeat the great question. Great question, that question was what about the cost? How much is it going to cost for people and what's the plan for rolling it out into the community? We've been working with Victoria McCandles to get a um, broad message out. You're going to see it coming out in DH today. You guys are part of that. We started talking about this nursing grand rounds back a couple months ago. This is part of that message. It's also going to make it out into the Imagine magazine and you'll see the typical rollout. I'm going to be going to different clinics to talk with clinicians about how this is going to integrate into those primary care settings um, as well as other kind of specialty clinics. So th this, is this is part of that phased in. Out of the gate, we have uh, funding for both the Dartmouth-Hitchcock workforce to be on Imagine Care, um, and you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. And then we also have a Medicare population that has also been funded. So for the patients who fit our criteria and we're developing that criteria, there is no cost to go on Imagine Care out of the, out of the gate. It's part of the population health strategy that we have, um, and it will also be part of employee benefit, but this is going to, again, be rolled out over the coming few weeks about exactly who's in that criteria to get it, but there's no cost out of the gate. Yeah. With all the discussion about apps and safety and uh, personal information being shared with maybe folks that we would not have wanted to be shared with the whole Anthem issue with their insurance yeah. reach and such, what are you doing to protect all the folks that will be interacting with yeah. all these apps in place. So the question was about security. If I put that very specifically, it was about security and HIPAA compliance and how are we going to protect the people that, that we've worked with. Of all the user testing we did, the first question that was asked by anybody is, who's getting my data and how are you protecting it? So this is from people in the community to what we're hearing when we go out and do this. Everyone wants to know where's my information going and who's protecting it. It's part of the reason our technology partner is Microsoft, and Microsoft has one of the most secure clouds available. And so it was part of the reason that we partnered with Microsoft was to make sure that we had the highest level of security. And then we're, information that we're collecting in is still guided by the same rules around HIPAA compliance. We can't take if it's our own employees and share that information with human resources. That's, you know, that's against the law. If we do that, then we're all going to jail and no one wants to go to jail. So, so this is kind of the point, that that information will be protected. It will be in the Microsoft Cloud um, where it's the, you know, the security is part of their very business model. So we took that into account right out of the gate. Yeah. I have a question for Gay, and it's perhaps more of a, a, a semantics question, but why you chose the word transfer instead of educator? Um, that actually comes from the, the theory. Um, we use the same language that is used across the world with this whole role clarity. Um, so while 
while we may like to put our own spin on things here at Dartmouth-Hitchcock, it wasn't the language um, that is used in the literature and used by other people with professional role clarity. So we decided, you know, let's let's keep it pure and, and use that term. But it was a, if, if you caught me tripping over the, the syllables, um, it, it's not as... Uh, Comfortable a word um, yet. Is it a real word? Was also been transferred. Well, it's it's certainly out in the literature, and yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's a great question. Just, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, Gay, as you're as you're rolling out this professional model, mm -hmm. um, as you know, we all grow up in a profession, and we learn this over time, and we learn to be critical thinkers, and we learn to be decision makers and we learn how to transfer knowledge and I'm wondering what we're doing within the department or within the Center for um, Professional Nursing or Excellence in, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Center for Nursing Excellence. Center for Nursing Excellence. I, I've been here a long time. That's okay. So forgive me. And um, what we're doing uh, with, with all nurses in the organization on how to develop into this professional model. Yeah. Well, um, I, the question was, what are we doing about this professional model and helping nurses to develop? You know, to that point that we all come with sort of a little variation in our thinking about what does it mean to be a professional and a nurse. Um, we have to work on um, developing all of us and our, our thinking and our ability to fully um, practice within the full scope uh, of nursing. And um, so one of um, we don't have all that uh, worked out. We definitely, um, we made a change in the structure of what was the Office of Professional Nursing very intentionally because we wanted all of the functions within what is now the Center for Nursing Excellence to really represent the entirety of nursing across our entire um, system, uh, across the continuum, wherever we might practice. Um, and there was a bit narrower scope. Um, in the past. So, so we restructured so that we're first focused on nurses across all of our system and, um, and we're working on plans to really, how do we help people develop? How do we help them not just develop with professional practice, but how do we, um, from the moment they come into our organization, how can they you know, plan for a career and keep developing and go in whatever direction their their heart takes them because there there are so many different functional roles in different places for us to practice. So lots more to come on that, but um, part of getting us set to be able to do that was, okay, let's let's be clear on our model and let's structure ourselves so we're serving the whole and now let's let's really start um, working on delivering that. So it's a great question and it is very much to what we'll be doing um, in the coming months and years. So I know we're um, we're at the end of our time. Um, one more quick one. This is actually for Dustin around imagine care. Um, so just curious with with a lot of the with being in New England, there's a lot of people who leave doing that for either travel or for they go to Florida for the winter and they come back. How is Imagine Care going to continue to track them and then communicate with either their primary care because they may have primary care in two locations, cardiologist is here, primary care down there. So how is that going to work with that population? So the question was about how Imagine Care will track people as they kind of move across the country and where they go. 
Um, one of the things that you bring up is an interesting question because it became a licensing issue. And as you start thinking about it, I think if anybody had imagined, Karen, I'm la I see that my colleagues laughing because we've been trying to get licensed in 50 states right now to be able to do this. That's a lot of fun. You ever really want to try doing something new as a nurse? Go get licensed in 50 states just for the fun of it. Um, but this very thing that has come up is, is how do you begin to, to go through and do that? We will have the ability, there, there will be some limitations. In other words, we can't push information into an electronic health record that um, hasn't allowed us to go through, to do that. We're trying to create a tool that, first of all, becomes the customer's use of their own health care. And in that case, we would want some sort of information that would be going back and forth through them, that they become the portal for how they, how they interact with those things. We won't have the ability to access what their cardiologist said at a system that's not open up to us. But the person or the customer or the patient will have the opportunity to manage all of those, those items that are there. And then we can use systems to send information to any part. If you're a customer and you want your record sent from Imagine Care to do an e-delivery, uh, e you know, a security delivery to a place in Florida, you can do that. The technology's there, it won't be a huge issue to push that information along. So there's still going to be some limits. You're talking about interoperability across multiple systems and that's a challenge for sure. And it's part of the reason that we're going to continue to have to create a solution that moves across multiple different domains. Yeah. Okay, I think we're set. Thanks so so thank you. Thank you.